Do you realize how much has to go right for someone starting on the front row to get in the optimal this week? And these guys, I don't, I just don't see, it's like they don't know how to do math. Round two of the NASCAR playoffs kicked off with Denny Hamlin winning in, ironically, a city that's known for its hookers and um, sex workers with those rumors going around. But Denny Hamlin is now off to a su- another super hot start to the playoffs ever since his woman left him. This is Stacking Denny's. I'm Jordan McAvee of FantasyRacingOnline.com. Joined this week by Brandon Cruz. You know him on YouTube. You, if you subscribe to his Patreon, um, are you Brandon? Are you with any other site? I don't even know that. I am not. I am completely independent this year. I am, yeah. I'm all alone. Well, welcome to Stacking Denny's. Thank you for joining me this week. Yeah, thanks. I'm I'm happy to finally join you. We've been talking about it for a while, and uh, I'm just I'm finally happy to be on. Right. Yeah, I know most weeks I join you for for live streams on on your YouTube channel. We talk about the race, break it down. So it's nice to nice to hook up with you before uh, for the weekend and make sure you not only check out Brandon's stuff, but tune into our live streams. There's usually at least one tidbit of good information that we put out there, but usually a lot of rambling as well. It's what it comes down to. But <laughs> anyway, we are talking about Vegas. We're previewing Dega, and we might hit another a few other topics in this episode um i did not watch this race so i'm going to let you recap it brandon i know my boy uh denny hamlin ended up in victory lane but there were a few other guys with issues uh what what do you think all happened in that race and and can you give me a um a recap for myself because i literally just got back into town like two hours ago i haven't even had a chance to look at highlights i i this is the first race i think in in five plus years that i haven't watched so i'll let you recap it and we can go from there yeah oddly enough and i was just telling you before we started this is the race that i've actually watched twice within the last uh two days really outside of the start of of Larson really not uh, it, you talked about it earlier in the week that you know Larson is always concerning because sometimes he doesn't arrive with the fastest car that's kind of what happened this week to where right off the bat you know he's he's running third fourth you know you got Hamlin up front and uh, really the main turning point of this race and I think what really sealed the deal for a lot of guys having issues is the Joey Gaze wreck in stage two because for whatever reason a lot of crew chiefs galaxy brain themselves uh like Larson stayed out he didn't pit Byron didn't or Byron stayed out he didn't pit and so these guys got behind on race strategy I I don't know why and Mm -hmm. so at the end of stage two you have guys that are racing to try and get back on lead lap like Byron's crew has an issue during their green flag pit stall they can only or pit stop they can only take two tires so he has to basically race to try and get the lucky dog and he barely gets there by one lap and so you know Byron was behind uh pretty much entering stage three same thing with Larson like Larson had the fastest car I don't know why his team chose to stay out because they had to pit before the end of the second stage. Uh, and then stage three kind of just, you know, nobody could pass. Wherever you 
entered stage three, that's kind of where you ran. And even though Larson had the fastest car, he literally couldn't make positions uh, late in the race. And then we had a lot of issues with loose wheels, which is way more than normal. I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. Um, it, was, it was a green race, a lot what we expected. It's just that crew chiefs made dumb strategies that put them off sequence. I, so I don't know what they were thinking in that sense. And, you know, Las Vegas is a low wear mile and a half, but at the same time, it eats tires more than other low wear mile and a half. So, yeah, I if, like I said, if I would have watched it, I would have been questioning that as well. Why the hell you would not take tires and, and try to get off sequence in a race that, like you said, like we know these races stay green. You can't really I get I get track positions important, but um, it obviously didn't work out from some of them. You know, William Byron ended up 18th. Alex Bowman, 22nd, Larson finished 10th. It was, it was surprising to me. Byron actually had the best green flag speed. Did he have the best car in that race or do you I still think, think Byron, it was Larson? No, I, I think Byron had the best car. And I think that goes back to how Hendrick is approaching these races. I kind of joked, but I really do think it's the case of, you know, I think Hendrick is, is cheating or, you know, in the gray area and Joe mm-hmm. Gibbs is in the gray area trying to catch up to Hendrick, but Byron had the fastest car got sent to the back um because the car failed inspection <laughs> drove through the field like I, I i can admit when i'm wrong i did not expect byron to drive through the field at a intermediate track like this to where he was basically in the top 10 like really really quick like i know Truex was right behind him but byron had the fastest car he was able to pass in traffic and it goes back to them making dumb calls on pit road that cost byron a good finish um same thing with like all the Hendrick cars. Like I think they have the fastest cars and the crew chiefs are the reasons why they didn't necessarily get the finishes that they should have gotten. Yeah. You know, after, after Byron snuck into the second round of the playoffs, you know, he's now on the outside looking in yet again with two races to go. He's, he's obviously been good in super speedway races and, and he can get the finish there. He's ran well at road courses this year, but those are also questionable. Like no, no finish is guaranteed over these next two races in the playoffs. So the one track that it, it goes back to the one track that, you know, uh, that you shouldn't take risks on. And, and like you said, a lot of, it seems like a lot of these teams took unnecessary risks and it didn't work out for them. Um, but it was nice to see um, Byron have a fast car again. I I know a lot of us talked. I, I didn't get a check into your live stream, but um, I know a lot of the a lot of the people, other people that I talk with, were really high on Byron this week. I just assume you are. Uh, I know you said you didn't think he'd have that good of a car, but um, Byron's definitely been very good at mile and a half this year. He was good at, at Michigan a few weeks back. Um, and then, yeah, we got Chase Elliott who finished second, you know, who's always been good at Las Vegas. Uh, you talked about the issues that teams had, and I had to laugh at one of your tweets earlier today. Um, you talked about the the pick or the the tire. What am I thinking? The, the air wrenches. Yeah, yeah. There we go. The air wrenches that you think um, maybe not. I, I don't think it was worded quite correctly because the way I read it first was like how i would how i would say it but i don't think it was right but basically you said uh you think nascar is behind all of the loose wheel and lug nut problems that we saw and by behind you don't mean maliciously where they're like sabotaging these playoffs mm-hmm. but rather their negligence or their overall not caring is what's causing a lot of these issues with um the guns what can you explain that a little bit more 
Yeah. So, you know, prior to 2018, the, the air wrenches were brought to the track just as everything else is by the teams. And so you had, you know, Hendrick, Joe Gibbs spending literally tens of thousands of dollars trying to get the air wrenches to go faster and perform better. And oddly enough, like NASCAR doesn't have a salary cap, but NASCAR chose to uh, basically take that advantage away from the bigger teams and implement that NASCAR is going to provide all the air wrenches across the Xfinity Series and Cup Series. Well, when that initially started, I believe a lot of the teams were running nitrogen or hydrogen. I don't remember exactly which one, but the air guns weren't designed to run off of those. They were like designed to run off of actual air. And so a lot of the teams would end up breaking the guns on pit stops or they weren't performing correctly. And even outside of that, a lot of the teams complain that these air wrenches are pretty, pretty poorly made and weren't performing to their standard. That kind of died down uh, over the last couple of years. You still see instance to where, you know, a team has an air wrench break or something happened and they reach for a backup. Well, you know, I was just thinking in my head that, you know, we're three years into that. They get a, they're pretty much using new air wrenches next year because they're going to a single lug, uh, NASCAR maintains and refurbishes all those because uh, the teams have to turn them in an hour after each race, the Xfinity series and the, and the cup series. And I'm kind of thinking that these really aren't, you know, uh, performing as well. They're, they're, they're worn, they're beat up, they're being abused, you know, race in and race out. And I, I think that's, what's bringing up a lot of the pit road issues that we're seeing because, you know, we're having, I can think off the top of my head right now, like you had um, Chastain, you had Logano, uh, we've had uh, Bowman in the past weeks, like major teams with crew members that are like training because this is their job, professional tire changers, like getting lug nuts loose and, and having issues. I mean, Harvick's crew chief is suspended because there was two lug nuts that were loose on that car. Like it, I don't think it's that the crew members are leaving the lug nuts loose. I just don't think the guns have the torque that they once had and they're letting the lug nuts, you know, get loose in a long run. I, so I, at least I'm thinking it's more of NASCAR bringing equipment that isn't up to par or isn't up to the standard that it once was uh, that are causing these lug nut issues and loose wheel issues that are costing some of these drivers good wins and, and good runs. Yeah. And I know the narrative, like it, it's very rare to, for us to see a race at the end that a team doesn't have a penalty or a monetary fine for a loose lug nut. And like you said, if they have two loose lug nuts, then their crew chief gets suspended. Luckily for Harvick, you know, Childers is only suspended for the Talladega race, which I mean, when they're suspended, they're really not suspended. Mm -hmm. Like, but still, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, the more I read what you were saying on Twitter, I was like, that absolutely makes sense. Like there's really no reason for them to put a hundred percent effort into maintaining those. Like you said, when we're going to the single lug nut next year and, uh, it, it, it's very difficult for me to believe that, yes, all these professionally trained teams continue to have these problems. I get they're going fast. I get they're trying to shave time off, but it's just, it, it's way too common. And I'm right there with you. I, it's especially like, you know, coming off of that race, the Vegas race where there were so many issues. And, and like you said, all the major teams having issues. And unfortunately it's hitting the playoffs. Um, not that I would put it past NASCAR to purposely, you know, <laughs> yeah, have the, but um, yeah, I don't think that's the case. Speaking of, speaking of the overall rate, well, just a second, going back to the pit guns and, and that was kind of like an even evening of the playing field a little bit for the smaller teams. Correct. That's why NASCAR mm -hmm. did it. Yeah. 
Speaking of the smaller team shit boxes, I got a lot of tweets after the race on Sunday night um, about Cody Ware. Do you remember what the hell he did? Because I saw one replay where um, I think it was Kyle Busch and maybe Hamlin or someone. One was on the inside, one was on the outside coming out of the turn, and Kyle Busch got into the wall because Cody Ware was sitting there right in the middle. Um, I Was that the only issue with Cody Ware, or was there another one? Well, you know, where's always in the way. I'm pretty sure that's where Harvick got the damage that he had to deal with because uh, he was the races blended together for me over the past days. But uh, I'm pretty sure that's when I'm pretty sure they caught Cody out at two and down the straightaway just by how they exited the corner. Um, Kyle kind of went up into into Harvick and uh gave him that damage but it's the same thing that you've been talking about for these last couple of weeks is that these guys are, are are off pace like they're just not there and i don't get that in like these teams even looking at talladega like i'm concerned that these you know shit boxes aren't going to be up to speed at talladega despite the fact that this is literally the last year we're using these motors these cars why aren't you buying surplus engines from him Hendrick, why aren't you buying old Stuart Haas cars? Like, why are you dealing with being, you know, like barely making the minimum speed at these tracks? I, I don't understand that at all. Um, yeah, I just, I just don't get. It. I mean, David Starr was basically already two laps down uh, when the race was five laps in, and he was already obstructing the leaders. Uh, like, what is going on? I know he had to do a pass through penalty, but still, like when they're going by him and he's that slow, he's just killing the momentum of the field. Mm -hmm. And a big issue, I think as well, not only like what they need to do is raise minimum speed for sure. Like get, don't let these, cause like, like I said last week or two weeks ago, I forget whatever episode when I really went off on it. Um, like sometimes these cars are going like 15 to 20 miles an hour slower. Mm -hmm. Think about that on a highway. If you pass someone going 15, 20 miles, now think about a fucking race car. Like, it's dangerous. But another issue with these guys is they don't get out of the way despite being so slow. Mm -hmm. There is no reason for Cody Ware to be in the middle part of the turn. Get out of the way. Go to the apron. Go down low and let the leaders go above you or go super high. There's mm -hmm. absolutely no reason. And, you, and I know there's going to be people... If, if anybody hears this and they like to defend Cody Ware, they're going to say, oh, well, he deserves that line, and, and they probably just caught up to him too fast. Well, you know what? You have a spotter and you have a mirror for a reason. You know these guys are coming. You need to get the fuck out of the way because I'm so over these shitboxes um, affecting the outcome of the race, especially these playoff races. And and when you mentioned um, you know these guys so far off the pace and being concerned that they won't be able to keep pace at Talladega, we saw it at Daytona. And mm -hmm. what happened was um, Anthony Alfredo had to do a pass through to start that race. David Starr and Cody Ware and guys like that couldn't keep up with the draft because their cars are so shitty that then it kept trapping Alfredo a lap down despite. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. him and, actually having a car that could catch up if, if given the chance. Exactly. Once he finally did get on the lead lap, he got up to like the top 12 and, and then he got wrecked. But, um, yeah, I just, like, if you can't even keep pace at Daytona and Talladega, like just, I don't, I don't get it. I never, I'm never going to get it, but had to point that out. Um, 
speaking of awful, this this week's race at Vegas got the lowest score of the season on Jeff Gluck's yes no poll on on whether people enjoyed it. Now, was it really that bad, or was this a product of we just came off of an amazing race, um, and this one was definitely subpar but was it really that bad or was it or people were just comparing it not to mention he posted the 10 worst um races ever in that poll mm-hmm. and i just i just had to like how my brain works i i i find trends and i found it funny that eight of those 10 had toyota winners which you know <laughs> a lot of nascar fans really don't like toyota so i i'm not saying it i'm not saying that influences the poll but it definitely does just like you know, if if Kyle Busch wins or Martin Truex wins, but was the was the Las Vegas race really that bad? Because the first Vegas race earlier this year got very good results, and from the highlights that I saw of this week, like I saw like maybe twenty seconds of it, it looked similar. It looked like similar racing. Yeah, I I think it was just. Uh because we we just came off a of bristol week where everybody agreed that it was such a great weekend between xfinity between trucks between cup series like obviously going to las vegas it's not going to race like that but i i do believe people were a bit harsher on this race because i mean this race is what we've been getting all year at these intermediate tracks you know guys can't pass the leaders um i will put out there that because we had so many you know good cars bowman byron have issues logano have issues like we did get to see people that we don't normally see, you know, in the top five in this race, like Tyler Reddick have, had a tremendously fast car. Um, and there was different leaders like Larson didn't just walk away with this race. That, that's why I was surprised that people didn't like it as much because we've had Larson literally walk away with races this year. And everybody says it's a good race. And then we literally have Elliot who has a fast car, Hamlin who has a fast car, Larson who has a fast car. Like they all took turns leading. Like, it, I mean, it wasn't like the best race I've ever seen in my life, but it wasn't the worst race this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like. I'm gonna have to go back and watch it because I can't believe that it would be that awful. I mean, we had. I'm just looking at the the running order here now. We had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, forty, fifteen different people finish in the top ten in the stages. Like it seemed like there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of stuff going on, and and like you said, like it, this is it's like people still aren't accepting the fact that this is how these races play out and maybe they need to, but that's probably never going to happen and people are going to hate it no matter what. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, um, we head to Talladega next, but before we get to that, I want to do a, like a Q and a, because I know um, there's a lot of crossover in the, in the NASCAR DFS industry, but um, a lot of people that follow me may not know who you are and, and vice versa. So, I want to get to know who the hell you are. I I actually want to make this a a normal segment. I want to bring in a lot of other DFS content creators and and do this. So, who how one how did you get started in DFS and and what's your full story? Is because I know you you know a lot more about motorsports than the average you know DFS content provider. I I watched your about me YouTube video. That's how I know that. So no, you're good. At least you did. <laughs> at least I at least I got some views. Uh, I, I know it sounds cliche, but I need to start like legit at the end when I was born and I'm not going to, this will be kind of a long winded answer, but it, it'll all circle around back to here. So when I was born, I was like a vegetable, like straight up. I, I was not a smart child growing up. Um, <laughs> and I, I literally mean like, 
it's so bad. I flunked first grade, you know? So, um, you, you know, going through elementary school, like I, I was just terrible. I couldn't read, couldn't write, couldn't understand anything. Like I, I was on the short bus, everything like that. Um, finally got taken to a good school that was able to teach me yada, yada, yada in high school. I'm actually, you know, doing well, taking engineering classes, um, PLTW classes, engineering classes that you can, you know, use to basically skip like your freshman year of, of college if I decide to do that. And so I was involved with a lot of, you know, different things in school. But, you know, through taking engineering classes, I found that I really didn't care about that stuff. I didn't like the way that, you know, people approached it. Like I, I was more of I want to build things my way. I don't want to follow you know, projects that, oh, I have to follow A, B, and C to get to this, where I could just skip those things and get to the final product. And um, because of that, I started getting into things outside of school. So like my freshman year, sophomore year of high school, I started getting into the local racing scene, not racing, but helping out drivers uh, at the El Paso Speedway Park, um, Southern New Mexico Speedway and Las Cruces, New Mexico. And so that's what I was basically doing in and out of high school. At the same time, I'm, I'm watching these poker players that I've been watching my entire life, like WPT, listening to Mike Sexton pretty much any time I had time available. That would just be my background um, sound and, and why I was doing stuff. So um, I'm around race cars for my entire high school, helping out with motors, being at the track, paying attention to how the track changes, what you do to the cars, the ins and outs of, of basic motorsports. And so I did that um, because the re- because of me flunking first grade, uh, I turned 18 the final week of my junior year in high school. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I wanted to you know, gamble and stuff like that, obviously. And during my free time, my uh, senior year in high school, I would bring out you know, the Chromebook or whatever laptop I had there, and I would log on to DraftKings. So I was building lineups in high school in my free time, like in, in – the open period, whatever they call it, you know, your free period or whenever I got stuff done because I couldn't play poker, I couldn't do anything in Texas. And so DFS was what I would do literally in school. Um, mm-hmm. And so on from there, you know, I, I graduate, I'm a part of the race team, you know, we're, we're racing week in and week out. I'm doing the DFS stuff, uh, making money from that, making money from being on the race team. And it just kind of progressed to, you know, what it is like right now. Like I'm pretty sure my first videos were when I had just literally graduated high school and making the type of content that I didn't see out on, on YouTube. Um, I didn't like just the pics videos. I wanted like a more in-depth, you know, analysis or at least, you know, things that I do think the way that I make videos and stuff like that. And so it's kind of just progressed over that to where um, I moved, kind of got away from the racing scene. I still do it here and there, but I moved to Lubbock uh, to be with my girlfriend right now. And that's kind of when I kind of went all in on, on DFS and the content side. I was with DFS Tavern last year. Um, I wanted to be on my own this year to try and cover trucks, Xfinity and cup series. And I've, I've enjoyed doing that. So that's kind of a quick synopsis of how I got to where I am and, and kind of who I am and why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome though. I mean, you know, sitting in high school making DFS lineups and, <laughs> That's... I love my teachers, man. I, I did because I excelled in math and history. Those are like the two things I enjoyed the most for obvious reasons. But in history class, like I'd finish everything in like the first 10 minutes and then I'd spend the next, you know, hour and a half or whatever doing NHL research or even NASCAR research, things that whatever mm-hmm. sport was going on that day. And so, I mean, 
I loved it. I, I love doing that type of stuff. Yeah, and I find it funny your uh, your your bio on Twitter, which by the way, follow him. It's Brandon Cruz DFS on Twitter, um, and you can also find him on on YouTube there as well. Using that is uh, you you dislike NASCAR yet you cover it with a passion. Yeah, I, I, I think that's <laughs> perfect. Like, because you hear how much I complain, I don't mean a bitch and moan left and right, but you know, I, I do bring up things I don't like about it. At the same time. I think I know what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to, you know, have a huge ego there, but I, I know what I'm talking about, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's talking about these stupid impact wrenches or talking about what a car does at the track. That's, I, that's why I like bringing that type of, uh, at least my personal experience into looking at things in a DFS sense. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, I remember back to the Bristol dirt race, like you were, you knew exactly, you know, what to expect from, from Bristol dirt. And, and like you said, it, it it can that kind of stuff can give you a, a major edge, um, and and hearing that stuff like obviously I listen to your content and and there's a lot of stuff that that you point out and I'm like oh I didn't think about that you know and it's it's always great to to have that that outside perspective so do you uh, do you like um would you say you're you're heaviest in playing NASCAR DFS or, or are you kind of spread out through all the all the sports. Yeah, I certainly play the most in, in NASCAR, and I don't know if that's good or bad because it's 36 or it's actually like 38 weeks out of the year, and so I, I really don't have an off time other than the NFL season. Then I'm still doing you know NFL DFS, but I mainly spend a majority of my money and my time focusing on NASCAR, focusing on the GPPs and stuff because you know cash is, cash is absolutely terrible. Um, mm-hmm. That's really my only regret. Like I wish I would have known what I knew now back in – Heck, when I was wasting time in high school, when everything was was so much easier and the competition was way softer. Yeah, and that kind of segues into um, DraftKings in general, uh, a topic I wanted to talk about, and I think you tweeted about it earlier this week as well. Um, so this last week, I put in one lineup, and I made it on like Friday. And, you know, usually like we do, me and you do a live on, on, on race day. And then after that, I usually do a lot of my lineups if I don't already have them done or I'll tell you what, I didn't hate not making a lineup, not making a ton of lineups and not putting up a ton of money in DFS. I put all my bets in, I I bet my normal amount didn't didn't play DFS and you know what? I didn't hate it. And then you tweeted about DraftKings and their the payout structures just keep getting worse and worse and worse. Especially like I, I refuse to play these big tournaments. I, I'll throw in maybe three lineups max. But the payout structures are so awful. I don't understand how people play these, you know, the full 150 entries to take them down. Like obviously if you take it down, you, you're gonna yeah, it's going to work out. But I do you this week uh $15 they they cut the prize pool a little bit because I guess they it didn't fill last week. So 15 bucks, got 50,000 up at first, uh 15,000 to second. You go down to 10th and you're not even making a thousand bucks in this huge tournament of almost 14,000 people. Um I know we've talked about it a little bit on the on the live streams or or after the live streams where we discuss a little bit, but um, 
am I crazy for thinking that these payout structures are just awful? Like there's a lot of, like I usually only stick to high dollar um, contests. Like I said, I put like maybe three lineups in this $15, but even some of the high dollar payout structures, I just, I can't even justify playing it. It, 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 they suck. Am I, am I crazy or am I just like a grumpy old man at this point or am I right? No, like I, I completely agree. And I do want to say I'm, I'm probably actually, I'm pretty sure I'm in the red this year on DFS. <laughs> you know, I'm not losing anything I can't afford to, but it, it does kind of go back to that because cash doesn't pay out like it used to. Everybody kind of runs the same lineup. There's no real edge there. As, as you just said, you know, like this weekend's GPP, this $15, like I always play the most at plate tracks, literally building for wrecks. And so like this previous time at, at Daytona, we really didn't get those types of wrecks, certainly in Xfinity, uh, got them late in the race at, at Daytona. But, you know, I was out like 500 bucks for the Daytona race because I, I usually play like 500 to 700 on, on the super speedway weekends, just thinking that I think that's really the, the, not an edge, but I think that's, that's the four weekends a year to where you have more, of a randomness that can go in your favor than it not going in your favor. Mm-hmm. But like this weekend, like if I enter, what is it like $225, like let's say 12 lineups, I need my, I need lineups to finish literally inside the top 25 of that $15 tournament to even get my money back. It, it's a shitty payout, even worse for Xfinity to where it's like, you know, 10 grand to first a thousand to second or whatever it's going to be. Um, mm-hmm. Like there's no, there's no profit here anymore. It's, it's literally you win the tournament or you literally don't make money. Uh, And I know somebody's going to comment. We'll be like, I only entered one lineup. I I get a 1.5 min cash. Like you, you understand what I'm saying. Like if you're entering more than, you know, say 10 lineups, you need at least four of those lineups to, to cash. And most likely one of those lineups to actually finish within the top 1% of all lineups. Um, and I think that's crappy. I would much rather prefer a flatter payout structure. And when I first started, I remember seeing GPPs pay out the top 27, top 29, top 30. I, I think it was even like 32, 33 uh, at, at one point, probably like in 2018 or something. Like, I I hate this. Like, this weekend pays 20.14% of the field. First place gets 28% of the prize pool. Top 10 yeah. is 47%. Like, what the fuck are we doing? What is this? Yeah, it's 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 awful. Like I I like I said, I get it. Yes, we're gonna have people that that comment and say whatever. But in the long run, if if you're playing one fifty a a week and you you don't have any takedowns on the year, um, there's no way that you're making money if that's all you're playing. There's there's no way, and um. Yeah, I, I just don't know. I don't know if DraftKings will ever stop this because one, they continue to most weeks these contests are filling. Like, there's no doubt about it. And obviously, you know, they don't care because they're they're getting their rake and they can market the you know fifty thousand to first, which is what everybody's going for. But as as you know, DFS players that that play a lot, it's just. It's not, I won't say, I, I'll, I'll say this. This last week was a bit of an eye-opener for me. Maybe I'm not having as much fun playing DFS as I thought I was, you know, and, and 
maybe maybe it's because my bets have been so good lately, but I'm telling you, I I might be scaling back a bit. Like and it, it it's not just like I'm I'm not in the red this year at all. Like I had I won ten grand at Pocono. I, I was in the king of the speedway. Like I've I've had a good year, but it's just it's not much fun anymore. And I, I don't know why. Maybe like I said, maybe I'm getting grumpy old man. Maybe Maybe my hair is turning gray. I don't know, but, um, and maybe it's just, you know, maybe I don't have the edge that I, that I have had in the past. Like last year was a really good year for me, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I kind of, we kind of got off on a little tangent there, but always fun to talk about extra stuff. So well, no, let's talk I, about, I, I mean, it makes sense. I like, I do want to just focus, like I'm, I'm with you. Like I'm not having a terrible year. It's just, like for example, these th- two out of the last three weeks for the truck series, I finished top twenty in the in the ten dollar GPP. Like I finished eighth at Bristol, mm-hmm. first place got ten thousand dollars. I tie for eighth. What do I get? One hundred twenty five. Like wh- what is that? Like that's yeah. that's a terrible payout structure. So like I can even have good weekends, good lineups, and still exit in the red because I have some lineups I don't cash. You know, it's yeah, it's it's wild and you know and maybe part of it is this year there have been so many races where stuff hasn't gone to plan like the obvious plays haven't worked out and you know obviously we're we're gonna have we're gonna have that every year but it just seems like maybe this year it's a little bit even more than last year which you know last year was the first year without practices which i think i personally think for me that i like i like no practices Cause I tend to overvalue practice speeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, you know, it gives me a full week. I can really dig down into the data <clears throat> without practice, but I think I'm in the minority there. I know a lot of people really like practice and, and want it back, but, but yeah, these, these contests DraftKings, you need to do something, I think, but <laughs> fuck it. I mean, as long as demand keeps staying there, I, I think we're, we're talking on deaf ears. Don't you? Yeah, I mean, they their audience is, is the NFL for sure. Like, I used to play a lot of the Rainbow Warrior, the 23 uh, max. Like, I guarantee you this week's Rainbow Warrior is probably like 200-something entries with like 500 yep. to first or something like that. I, that doesn't make sense for me to enter. I'll just take mm-hmm. that money and throw it. I hate to say it, but I'll throw it in the 15 because I think the 15 pays out a bit better than that $24 one, you know? Like, uh, I'm... I'm I'm completely with you. Like I've seen myself doing a lot more one lineups um, this year. Like I did it this weekend here. Like I was I got really lucky playing Reddick. Um, that's really what saved the line because I I played Larson, um, Chase Elliott, McDowell, Reddick. Can't remember the other two guys. And it and it min cashed. You know. But like I, I I don't know, man. It I hate these contests, man. I really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I I don't have much else to add there, just because I just I don't see it changing. But and unfortunately, we just have to do it. And obviously, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep playing because I like to play DFS. But I don't know. It's these. I've been having a lot of fun with these top twenty bets. Mm-hmm. I, I mention them every week. These, these are my favorite bets, and and you know, as long as I still keep making money there, I I think my my DFS playing is going to diminish. But 
you know, maybe maybe this was a one week thing where where I was just sick of making lineups, but you know, Talladega, I typically don't like playing. I I just I've never really done well at super speedways, and you know, it, it seems like every single time I if I'm picking between two guys, the one that I don't pick finishes second, and the one that I do wrecks out. So <laughs> it mm-hmm. seems like that happens every time. But but yeah, we're on to Talladega next week or this week. Um Little we'll playoff update. So Hamlin's obviously locked into round number three. We got Larson with a fifty-seven point cushion. Am I reading that right? Fifty-seven yeah. point cushion yeah. on uh, the cut line. Kyle Busch has thirty-five points. Truex at thirty-one. Obviously, anything can happen here at Talladega this week. But currently on the outside looking in, we got William Byron, Kevin Harvick, Alex Bowman, Christopher Bell. Byron's only four points behind Keselowski. Harvick's only three points behind Byron. Bowman, basically, Bell is in the worst position. He's probably going to have to win either or either Talladega or the Charlotte Rovor. He's done. Um, you know, Bowman, 13 points isn't a lot to make up, but at the same time, Penske's won two of the three super speedway races this year. Blaney could win this. Keselowski's really good at Talladega. Logano's good at Talladega. Like, we could easily see a Penske guy get in, but what do you? Th- how do you see these next two races playing out? Obviously, like I said, these are both going to be very, especially Talladega is going to be super unpredictable. Daytona or Charlotte Roval, we could we could see people with issues. But do you think there's? Uh, do you think Byron, Harvick, Bowman, and Bell are going to be the four out when when these next two races are done, or or how do you see this playing out? I think two of those guys are the ones that get knocked out. I think we see, I'm going to probably guess Byron and Harvick have the best chance of getting back inside the top eight in points. Um, the interesting thing with Talladega is when I actually just rewatched the, uh, the Daytona race a few weeks ago and with the change in the package, like guys are making way more aggressive moves and they weren't necessarily spinning out as much. I think it is the decrease in the speed that we're seeing. And also how well these cars are sucked to the ground, but there is a lot of instances like, um, but I think it was like with eight to go Busher came down on the Bowman. Like he absolutely was not clear and him and Bowman and everybody else was able to save it. The instant that, um, chase Elliott, the Benedetto, uh, got into it. That caused the final wreck to start the green, white checkered. It wasn't even necessarily them wrecking. Like they saved their cars. It was the guys in the back wrecking. And so I think that we do see more of a, chaotic Talladega race. It also goes back to that. These teams are not using these cars ever again. There's no incentive to save this car other than the fact that nobody wants to die. But other than that, it, it, I I would imagine every team owner is just saying, bring home the steering wheel. Like there's no reason to save any of these cars. And I did actually want to go back and see how the last plate race has, has done in terms of cautions when they've transferred, when they've gone to a different car, like when they went from the fusions to the Mustangs, when they went from the COT to the gen six, when they went from the gen seven to the gen five, I'm, I'm actually curious to see how that last race did. If, if there's an uptick in cautions, if guys legit, like don't care about the cars. Um, so we have that on top of the playoff contenders. And I think everybody has to, to race here. Um, I don't even think Larson is, is safe because if Larson gets caught up in a wreck and he doesn't get points in stage one or stage two and finishes close to the end. That obviously, like that, wipes away his his 
his home field advantage, as Steve Latart likes to say, entering this round to where he might actually have to perform at Martinsville. And so I don't think literally anybody's safe. I think they're all going to be racing for the entire race and certainly for the stages, probably more than, than we're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's funny you brought up Larson. You know, th- three of the last five Talladega races, he's finished 39th or dead last or 40th. Mm-hmm. Um, super Speedways haven't been a bright spot for him. And obviously, you know, anybody can get caught up. Um, I see your point, and, and I'm definitely going to look those numbers up too, the, the caution numbers before the car changes, because that's a very good point. Um, my take on this race is I think it's going to be boring as shit for the first 90%. Mm-hmm. I, I think they they might race a little hard, but they just, they're just they going to want to get to the end and, and try to win it. I don't, I don't think we're going to see hard racing for the first part of this race because just because it's a playoff race, the, the outsiders don't want to ruin, you know, Chase Elliott's chance at another championship and the playoff drivers don't want to ruin their own chances at a championship. So I think this is going to be, you know, even the, if I remember correctly, the last Daytona race was like that where it was right around for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then obviously they got, they got, pretty i mean bj mcleod finished top 10 that's how yeah they aggressive got, they got pretty dumb late late yeah. in the race with about 20 to go um yeah. and it, it all started with your shit boxes wrecking out a two or wrecking out a four <laughs> yet yeah. again the rick Ware cars are running by themselves because they're that slow um mm-hmm. it goes back to like I, i'm still overweight on a lot of the rick Ware cars that play tracks when i mean overweight like i'm playing like probably 25, 30% of all the Rick Ware cars. And that's far above what the field does. They're normally coming around 5% ownership. Um, but even with that, like it, the way these speedway races have been playing out, I think our only chances of cautions are probably the last four laps of the two stages. And then probably the last 20 laps of the race. And if you're, you know, slow drivers get caught two, three, four laps down, we say it every time, but they can't really make up even if guys run into issues on a green white checkered, if it ends on the white flag and tons of guys wreck, they can't make um, those gains. And so while the play from the back strategy, like I, I still do it. Like I make tons of lineups covering every situation of stacking from the back, but this is where you, you want to play, you know, the good guys start in the back or the good cars. And then I think you should sprinkle in like one or two of the Rick Ware cars or just some of the ownership or some of the drivers who won't carry as much ownership as, uh, as they probably should. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people, the stack, the back is people know about it. And you know, it's uh, to me, it's almost common sense a lot of times, but at the same time, we see even the good cars that start in the back, a lot of times don't get the ownership. You talked about the Rick Ware cars getting 5% ownership, which I'm pulling up the numbers right now. Uh, Daytona 500. Yeah. They're about three to 5% Talladega first race. Um, Cody Ware was at 2.3%. Quinn Half was at 2%. Like, I don't think stacking all of these guys, it, but even like JJ Yaley, who started 37th was at 6%. Um, I don't think stacking all of these guys is like, I don't think it's going to take down the big GPP 
maybe one or two of them in your lineup is going to do it. Um, but it, it's very hard for me to see those guys, you know, all being optimal. But at the same time, people say, you know, there's not much of an edge in DFS on these plate tracks or super speedways. I'm just looking, I like to point out Anthony Alfredo because uh, he started 36th in the Daytona 500. He was 13% owned and he started 30, uh, 30, 30th at Talladega and he was 5% owned. That's dumb. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a front row car that is, yes, Alfredo wrecks a lot, but, or has a tendency to wreck at these super speedways, but there's absolutely no doubt that I'm going to be overweight on Alfredo this weekend. If those trends continue, which for some reason I don't have, um, the second Daytona race in this spreadsheet yet, but, um, I, I'm pretty, I know he was, he was significantly lower than he should have been in, in that race as well. Um, I I was going to say, going back to, to what you said, um, about like these ownership guys, like personally, because I make so many lines, I, I, I do legit have like Rick Ware shitbox lineups. Like I'll probably have at least five of those. And actually last year, one of my best lineups, this was the exact lineup I played. I played, uh, Corey LaJoy, who finished 28th, Cody Ware, Joey Gaze, Timmy Hill. Um, I just X out of it. Quinn Half, And I'm pretty sure it was James Davidson as well. Um, to where, like, I probably had a combined ownership of those six guys, probably like 22% ownership. And I played that in a lot of single entries last year in this Talladega race. And because we had so much chaos in that race, like, I didn't take down a tournament, but I 3X'd my money. I won $700 off that one lineup like i'll happily take that that's why i usually enter so much at least personally in 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 these types of races because that that possibility of a wreck happening is so big i i'll probably be talking about this the example of xfinity um a couple weeks ago so i legit had ownership to every finisher outside of the top 16 in that xfinity series race so I didn't cash a single line in the Xfinity series race, but if the leaders wreck, I have everybody who's going to gain positions. That's the risk I take. Like I'm, I fully build for wreck fest. I completely understand. Hey, if a wreck does not happen, I'm not making money. I'm okay. Taking that risk. I'm perfectly fine doing that. I don't think enough people Mm. do do that because at these races, the percentage of it being a wreck fest is much greater than it being green. Green races happen. Oddly enough, we've had two Xfinity Series races this year that haven't had wrecks. We've had the rain out at Talladega when Jeb Burton won. We had the race a couple weeks ago when Colleague literally blocked the track. Nobody wrecked in that race, really. And those are technically like green races. I'm not building for that. And so I'm I'm going to have ownership to Rick Ware cars. And I would highly advise, even if you don't like the idea of playing those, throw in one in your lineups having i don't think joey gaze is probably gonna race this week but say having joey gaze in your line for four percent ownership starting close to the rear is is worth him finishing 27th versus playing say somebody like christopher bell at 17 percent ownership or whatever he's gonna be at um i mean this is just an ownership game these weekends that, that's how i approach him yeah so uh i don't think gaze has entered but you you brought up a good point that this is an ownership game. So a few things to note this week, we're going to have Justin Allgaier in the 77 Spire car, which 
as much as people like to hate on Spire, they're they have a good super speedway package and they have a decent car outside of that as well. But Allgaier's in the 77. He's going to be starting in the back. We're going to have um, Justin Haley moving up to the 16 car for Colleague, who Grala finished top 10 last time mm-hmm. on a super speedway. So he's going to be starting in the back. So you're going to have these, and then we're going to have uh, Landon Castle starting back there as well, who's in the 96 this week. So you're going to have three, what I would call big name drivers, starting back there and getting, they're all going to be at least 20% owned. Mm-hmm. And that, and what I think they should that? be more. I, I didn't mean what? to cut you off, but it, it, I, I, and I'm going to tell my patrons this because I did it last time. I like, when you look at the date, and I'm just using the last Daytona race as an example because it's in my mind, I just remember. But mm. you know, Kaz Grala started nearly dead last. Obviously, he was caught up in the wreck that Kyle Busch was caught up in when he ran into him entering pit lane. But I don't think he was as owned as he should have been. Um, Landon Castle kind of took himself out, out, out on the back straightaway, but still gained positions. Like I would argue that their ownership, like Castle's ownership, should be like 60%. Allgaier should be closer to 50. Um, like, I think you should build around like those types of drivers versus, oh, they're going to be at 20% ownership. Like, why am I going to play um, Chastain starting 23rd in more lineups than Landon Castle starting dead last to where it's very rare that he's going to finish last? I'll take Landon Castle getting me 12 DraftKings points. He's not giving me you know, single digit zeros, negative points. Like I think castle's the best play and he's not going to come up with the ownership that he should be because the percentage that he is a top 20 drafting scorer is going to be much higher than what his ownership is. Uh-huh. I, I think that comes down to a couple of things. So looking back, I, I think the, the name, like I said, bumps up ownership. So Harrison Burton was in the last Talladega race and he was at 28.5% ownership. Um, Kaz Grala in that race was 22. Like you said, it should be higher than that. Um, with that being said, I, so the reason I brought up the differences in percentages is because um, it's, so like the typical person making a lineup isn't going to fully stack the back like that, which is why we see such a discrepancy. So if I'm going to take a stand, I agree with you that you should have, you should be overweight on a lot of people in the back overall. But if I'm going to take a stand in like maybe a single entry contest, I'm going to stay away from the, the Justin Haley's, the Harrison Burton's, the, uh, or the castles and the, um, all guyers because they're big names and they're going to get significantly more ownership for the exact same upside as a guy like BJ McLeod mm-hmm. who, you know, they, as, as much as you want to hate on, we want to hate on these shit boxes. They have similar upside to Justin Haley uh, this week, as well as, you know, Justin Allgaier. Um But yeah, so I think the only reason that people are, like, I like that strategy in a single entry. I'm, I'm 100% there with you. But if you want to take down a tournament, like the big tournaments, which I like, like, like I said, I don't even want to try. Yeah. But when we take a look at the, the 
the top six, obviously we all know we don't have to use the full salary cap this week. You absolutely shouldn't. But going back and looking at these, um, the three super speedway races this year, the highest, the six highest drivers, so the complete optimal lineup at the second Daytona race, which was the most recent one, the Coke Zero Sugar 400, Ryan Newman, Bubba Wallace, Ryan Priest, Justin Haley, Josh Balicki, Chris Busher. They started 23rd, 20th, 24th, 28th, 36th, and 13th. Busher got DQ'd, but he still got the second place finish in DraftKings. Um, we take a look at the first Talladega race, highest scores in that race Kaz Grala, Michael McDowell, Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Matt DiBenedetto, Anthony Alfredo. 38th, 23rd, 16th, 10th, and 13th is where those guys started. Um, now, obviously, like this is absolute perfect lineup. We never see this on super speedways. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Alfredo was right there at Talladega, as was Cole Custer in the second um, Daytona race. BJ McLeod obviously was right up there, as was Blaney, who won, started sixth. Um, and then in the Daytona 500, the highest scorers in that race were actually Denny Hamlin, who who finished fifth. Uh, started 25th, Ross Chastain, McDowell, Sendrick, Elliott, Custer. Uh, like I said, Hamlin started 25th, Chastain started 34th, McDowell started 17th, Sendrick 19th, or 39th, Elliott 12th, and Custer 27th. The reason I bring this up with possibly not taking down a tournament is because you need you need all of your shit boxes to do well, and we just don't see it happen, mm-hmm. and we definitely haven't seen it happen this year. So that's why, like when I hear people say stack the back and just, you know, just literally pick everyone starting 40th through whatever, 34th, 34th. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it. I don't think it's an awful strategy, but if I'm going for the absolute best lineup, that's not the strategy I'm taking. I'm, you know, you have to pick some of these guys that, that are going to finish top five and start 20th because they're also going to get those points. But yeah, if you're just looking to, you know, cash and 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 hopefully make some money and yeah pick the guys in the back and hope for a wreck which is is very mm-hmm. likely that what we're going to see on on sunday yeah if you look back at uh this daytona fall race i don't think anybody did i don't think people do play the optimal lineup obviously the winning lineup has low own drivers but the optimal lineup for this past daytona race was ryan newman wallace priest um, Haley, Balicki, and Busher, and the starting positions were 23rd, 20th, 24th, 28th, 36th, and 13th. And so, you know, you're stacking from the back, as you kind of just said, like playing legit, like everybody starting outside the top 30 is most likely not going to be optimal. It'll score well. But when you look at the, you know, the optimal lineups, like it's very rare that you have a guy who's optimal who starts inside the top 10. So I would argue that your player pool should be from 11th to 40th. Like, I think that's who you yes. should build lines with. And, you know, having, if we're speaking optimal, it's probably two guys in the thirties and a majority of your guys starting inside the top 30 and maybe one inside the top 20. Um, I just find it, obviously it, it's difficult to land on that. Um, but man, I, I just hate taking like a guy who starts 11th and then finishes dead last. Like, because it already kills the line. Your line can still score well, but it's not going to be optimal. Whereas I'll just take guys who uh, who aren't going to lose me 30 points on DraftKings. That, that's kind of how I build. Um, 
like this week I'll probably do probably 20 lines for each of these races for the three series. And that's kind of why I like mass. I know it's not mass entering, but that's why I like building a lot of lines for the super speedways. Cause you can kind of hedge your bets in, in, you know, a wreck fest. Uh, you might not hit the optimal lineup, but you can certainly save yourself and do better than a ton of lineups um, just based on the ownership. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm going back and looking um, as I said, Alfredo in that race, and I'm always going to bring up Alfredo because, like I said, he's in a good car and he's always going to start back there. But in the, I think this is the the one hundred eighty dollar contest at that second Daytona race. He was he started thirty second and he was seventeen percent owned. That's just that's mm. wild to me. Like over the long run, you're going to crush it if that trend continues. Because right now, Alfredo's averaging like 10% ownership on super speedways this year when he started 30th or worse in all of them. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah. there's a, yeah. And this week, like, like you said, it's it's fun to build lineups. And it's, I, I feel like sometimes it's also, it's fun, but it's so easy to overthink it when really you just, you need to just stick to the strategy and kind of switch things up a bit. Like I'm with you. Like most of my lineups, I literally, I have like a spreadsheet as I'm, as I'm hand building lineups and I'll mark so I can keep track of who, what kind of exposure I got. And I tip, I usually just, I don't even look at my projections. I don't even take them into account. I take the starting lineup. I, I put it from 40th and then I just, go from there and yeah usually i'm staying in that 20th or worse range with maybe one starting top 20 but it's 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 rare you know especially like when you're playing high dollar contest you don't you don't need the the super high score to to potentially finish top mm-hmm. so um and that that's another aspect of it the single entry and the high dollar they tend to get even more uh chalky especially here like like I said, the the last Daytona race, the the fall one or the summer one, um, the oh fuck, I just closed it. There was like five drivers or four drivers that had forty percent or higher ownership. Like those are the like the chalk guys like that. If they wreck out, you're sitting pretty damn good. So mm-hmm. it's it's definitely you know strategy wise a good just doesn't take much to pivot to the guy starting 31st instead of 30th when there's really not much difference unless it's, you know, going from, I don't like, like a, like a Justin Haley to a Cody Ware or something like that. Like mm-hmm. there's obviously major fall off there, but you get what I'm saying. No. And, and I think people forget that if you're playing like the 88, the 33, some of the $50 single entries, like I think people forget and they get caught up on, Oh, I got to make the optimal lineup. I got to hit everything right. I just need a lineup that scores well. I, I if I hit the optimal, that's great. I've done it, um, but I I just want a lineup that scores well that can beat a majority of the competition in a in a field. So if you're playing, you know, a high dollar or something that has, like I said, the the Rainbow Warrior this weekend is probably going to have around two hundred something people in it. I don't need to hit the optimal lineup. I just need to hit a lineup that scores decent enough to beat two hundred something people, or at least min cash. That would probably be. You know, I got to beat 160 lineups. That's all I have to do. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm looking at the, 
the unofficial starting lineup from Pacris right now. Um, See, Tony Gase the, is in there. Is he? See, he's not. I didn't think he was on the entry list. He he's he's uh, to be determined, but he's 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 still playing yeah. the run. Okay, yeah, you're right. But uh, yeah, so Allgaier starting thirty third, Landon Castle starting fortieth, Haley starting thirty eighth. Those guys are going to get significantly higher ownership than Alfredo starting thirtieth, Lajoy starting 29th, who has a very good super speedway record. Cole Custer, who's been in or near the optimal for two of the three races this year, starting 28th. Ryan Priest, very good here. So is Eric Jones. Um, and then, of course, you know, the shit boxes, like you said, David Starr. God, why is David Starr in this race? That just pissed me off. Oh, man, that, that still hurts. Um, but like Garrett Smith, Lee Quinn Half, Joey Gase, Josh Balicki, Cody Ware. If you if if you guys listening to this still have the the CSV files from previous Daytona races, you can go and look at these trends. These guys don't get more than five percent, six percent ownership, and it's going to be like that this week as well, assuming there's no big revelation among the masses. Um, so yeah, like like you said, it's great to go. I if I had to pick if you had to pick one of the shit boxes this week to be most overweight on, who would it be? So I'm glad that you segue to that because that's actually what I was going to say next. Before I do say that, I want to say that if you were on Twitter during Daytona, you remember seeing in DFS Twitter, hashtag stack from the back. Everybody knows. And then as we kind of just talked about, I, we see the ownerships and people are not stacking from the back. They're, they're quote unquote stacking the good names in the back. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Whereas you should legit, like when I build lineups um, and I'll probably show it in, in my videos, uh, this week of, of previous lineups that I build for these, I just cover positions like fucking crazy. Like, absolutely. I'm playing every position from 19th on back. Um, and with, with just different groupings, but um, the shit boxes is not going to carry any ownership. Like there's absolutely no reason um, to not play Rick Ware or not uh, Cody Ware this week, BJ McLeod, Clint Half. Those are probably the three guys I'm highest of the bad plays on of the actual good plays you just kind of mentioned it alfredo should be a guy that you play just a ton of lajoy carried ownership because of his um previous track histories at at speedways this last time i didn't he ran good at daytona i just didn't think he was worthy of of one of the higher ownerships of these quote-unquote bad cars but i want to be overweight on priest on custer on jones mainly because newman's probably going to pop out and be really really popular um, this week, when you look back at the amount of times that drivers have been optimal, and we're looking back, uh, Corey LaJoy has been optimal at Dega two times. He's been optimal at Daytona three times, and so everybody's going to go to him. Chastain's been optimal at Daytona twice, once at Dega. Uh, Haley's been optimal twice at Daytona, once at Dega. And so I think Haley, Chastain, uh, probably Newman and LaJoy are probably going to be higher on than what they should be this weekend. And so I'll just pivot to people like Austin Dillon, like Daniel Suarez, um, and the guys that we're talking about right here. I, I just want to kit off the chalk here. I'll play some of it. I'm not going to just fade the chalk here, but I, I certainly want to be underweight on it. Uh-huh. So your, your, your shitbox pick of the week, did you answer that or did I miss it? Uh, Cody Ware, BJ McLeod. I know it's kind of, I know that's two drivers, but those are the two that I would argue you need to build lineups with. Yeah. I'm right there with you because 
they're they're the highest starting forward, but they're also the better cars. And that I the reason I asked because my shitbox bet of the week is actually BJ McLeod to finish top twenty at plus six hundred on DraftKings. That's I I had to grab it because um one, he has the best car of the shit boxes and it's not even close. Two, he finished, you know, ninth at um was it the last Daytona race that I'm thinking of? Yeah. Yeah. And then but the other two races, sorry, I'm, we I'm finished stalling at, here. No, 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 you're, no, you're good. You're good. He finished yeah, he finished tenth ninth after Busher DQ'd, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so he finished ninth slash tenth at the second Daytona race. And then the other two super speeder races this year, he finished twenty-fifth at Talladega and he finished twenty-third in the Daytona five hundred. Like I would let that's why I bet him to to finish top twenty this week. And mm-hmm. I already had a couple people, you know, tweet me and like that's a dumb bet. Like he has the best shitbox car. And if I'm betting on a shitbox this week, it's gonna be McLeod, you know, at plus six hundred. But yeah, definitely Anthony Alfredo back there, right there with you. Um, I'm curious to see what kind of ownership you think Allgaier will get. Cause we know Castle's going to be massive. Haley's going to be massive. Allgaier should be the third highest of the, you know, outside the top 30, but does he get, I don't even know if he's going to get to 20% with as high as Haley and Castle are going to be, which, you know, that, like I said, that Spire car is not bad. Spire overall this year have completed like 99.8% of the laps on super speedways. Um, and they have three top tens. Like don't, nobody should sit there and think that Spire cars are shitty because they're not. And they're definitely a step above the, the, the shit boxes, you know, and 17 steps above David Starr. So, um, so yeah, that's, I, I'm very curious to see where Allgaier comes in ownership wise this week i think all is probably going to be around 22 23 like it it's easy for me to see who's going to be the chalk plays back here it's hard for me to predict ownership because as i've kind of been saying i think i always expect them to be higher than they are mm-hmm. and based on previous races he's probably going to be low to like mid 20s if that um why play all guy at 23% when you can get Cody Ware at four? <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's, that's how I look at it. Yeah. I'm, I'm there with you. I, it's just so, it's so tough. You know, like if you can, if you have a lineup of, you know, that you're getting risky to me, it all comes down to what I do with the rest of my lineup, because let's say I pick like the rest of my lineup is like, Briscoe starting 17th and Almirola starting 20th and Chastain starting 23rd, you know, maybe throw in Kurt Busch starting 14th. I'm then because my, the rest of my lineup is that chalk or not that aggressive. I'm going to want to hit the chalk there at the bottom as opposed to going risky there. But at the same time, maybe I shouldn't, you know, maybe Mm. that's why I'm so bad at these super speedways DFS wise is because I try to get two different, or I don't differentiate myself um, when I should mm. like just all over. Cause like, you, like anybody can finish anywhere. BJ McLeod finished top 10 last time. So, um, well, I, so yeah, I, I know we're kind of focusing on BJ McLeod, but when we look at the dry, when we look at the, the 
shit boxes and, and seeing how they finished. I'll talk about McLeod, Ware, Smithley, Half, Baliki, Gaze, these guys. Um, you know, BJ McLeod finishes finished tenth. Um, you also have Cody Ware finishing nineteenth last year. Cody Ware's four mm-hmm. finishes uh, in the Cup Series at Speedways, other than the spring race in two thousand nineteen. Is twenty eighth, nineteenth, twenty ninth, and twenty first. That's gain positions from where he's starting uh, this weekend. You have Garrett Smithley with thirty fourth and thirty first. Not attractive numbers, but not killing your lineups. Uh, you have Joey Gaze. He has a couple finishes in the thirties. He also has a couple finishes inside the top twenty. Uh, actually, multiple here at Dega. Just when you look at um, when you look at Talladega with Joey Gaze. His last finishes are 34th, 17th, 37th, 36th, 18th, 27th, 32nd, and 21st. Like, the upside is there for these guys to gain at minimum, like, eight positions. Um, and I don't think enough people take advantage of that. And I think another thing people often forget is that we don't see any one driver or we don't see fastest laps pile up for anybody. Typically, the highest amount we see is about 10. And that's that's probably pushing it. You know, this race is only 188 laps, I think, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, you know, a good chunk of those are going to be under caution. Plus, fastest laps are just completely spread out either way. So um, it's literally all about place differential. And, and like you said, people, I think, I think people here stack the back and they're like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. But, I, yeah, I'm right there with you. I think they focus on – the big names in the back way too much, which we don't have as much now because there's no qualifying. You know, the, the, the quote unquote good drivers are all starting, you know, top 25, but um, all it takes, yeah, all it takes is a wreck. And the good thing about these shit boxes in the back are they're not racing in the race. So if there's a wreck early that takes out half the field, one, they're probably going to get through it because they have enough time to react um, and two, if they're, even if they are multiple laps down, if it happens in the middle of the race, they're going to move up all those positions. Cause they're literally just out there making laps and hoping to, to get through it and get the best finish they can. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like going back to Daytona this weekend, I know I got a ton of shit about it, but I was like, I'm playing a ton of Derek Cope in the 500. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I think he finished with negative four points. You know who he, you know who he outscored? Eric Jones, Newman, Suarez, Bowman, Eric Amarola, DiBenedetto. I think he was even with Busher because Busher finished 31st. He may have even beat Blaney in a sense. Derek Cope was not the lowest scoring driver in these, in these mm-hmm. races. These, these slow cars are not as, I know it's hard to put money on and maybe I'm just insane because I put so much money on these idiots in the back but it it's not as ugly as you may think sure if you're aiming for the optimal it's not going to happen just i'm telling you right now it's not going to happen with these guys but i I like playing them and and i've done that the past like ever since i've been on DraftKings. that's how i've approached these races Mm -hmm. and i know with your mentality like it also gives you the reason to root for Rex, which I know you like. I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never disappointed. In it. it changes. It it really changes the way you see this. Um, I mean, I already have my my theories, and I don't want to get into them too much, but it really changes the way you approach this race when you're like, yeah, let's tear some shit up. We're going to tear it up anyway. Let's enjoy the Rex. Let's see how big we can make them. Um, <laughs> I like it. I like looking at it that way. 
That's funny. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this last time where when we had Daytona and I tweeted it out. I this is how much I how like I don't care what my lineup looks like. I will pick names out of a hat and throw mm-hmm. it in a lot and throw in that lineup. And every single super speedway race, I have my dog pick a lineup for me. I cut out all the mm-hmm. names. I throw them in a hat. I spread them on the floor and whichever one he touches, I put it into a lineup. <laughs> yeah. And he actually didn't put together a too bad of a lineup last time at Daytona. I think, I think a couple of them wrecked out, but it was actually like just the eye test before the race. I was like, that's actually a pretty damn good line. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, that, that's just how it is. Like you said, like you're picking everybody in every position, you know, 20th or worse this week. It's just how you got to do it. And then, you know, hope you get the right combination. There's, I can't stress to people enough. It like looking up, I spend a lot of time looking up data, analyzing data for other races, for Las Vegas last week, for Richmond. I, I really dug into it for Bristol. I did. I don't, I barely put any time into Talladega and Daytona because it doesn't matter. None of it matters. Nothing matters. Um, and I think I, I, I'm assuming a lot of people don't realize that, but like, would you say you put a ton of time into looking at like how much do do previous results at these super speedways weigh into your thinking this week? Doesn't weigh into my research at all. The only time I look into that is because I think that does determine the chalk plays. Um, yes. So I think it's it's notable to look at there. But a majority of my time this week is cataloging my lineups. Uh, in a little spreadsheet as I make them out. That that's the majority of my time. It it's not, and I I'll take one glance. I want to see okay who's sponsored. Can I figure out where this car came from? Who purchased this car? I'll spend like forty minutes on that tomorrow before I make my videos. Outside of that, it's just building lineups and and waiting for DraftKings to release the salaries. Um, mm-hmm. And I personally I can't stress enough that I would argue don't play anybody inside the top ten. Like when we look back, and I can like I have all the optimals here or the highest scoring lineups here from like 2015. And so like if you look back, oh, but Brandon, you know, Dylan Hart Jr. started fifth at Talladega in 2015 in the fall. He finished second. He was optimal. Uh, Brandon William Byron started sixth in the Daytona 2020 or yeah 2020 fall race. He started sixth, won the race. He was uh, top scoring driver there. Um, you know, Daytona 2019 in the uh, pretty sure that's a spring race. Kyle Busch started second. Eric Jones started fourth. They finished second and third. They were in the quote unquote optimal lineup. But personally, I'm I don't play anybody inside the top ten. Um, like I would exclude them from my player pool, um, and just build with the thirty cars from eleventh on to fortieth, or tenth to fortieth. Yeah, and and like you said, like previous results shouldn't weigh anything, but. Like you said, it's going to dictate ownership this week a little bit. So use that to your advantage. Plus the fact that these playoff drivers are starting up front and the not so not, I don't want to say not so smart, but that type of person playing NASCAR DFS is going to gravitate toward, you know, a Christopher Bell starting 12th because he's the, he's a playoff car and he's starting the worst of the playoff cars. It's just going to happen. It's going to bump up his ownership. But like you said, I'm right there with you. Like my general rule of thumb that I tell people is if you're going to pick anybody starting in the top 10, I usually use top 12 
when I give him a cutoff. I said at maximum two, but maybe one. I would I'd recommend zero. Most of the time, I'm recommending zero. So we take a look at the second Daytona race this year. Um, Ten of the top eleven scorers starting started thirteenth or worse. You look at the first Talladega race this year. We got Keselowski was the fourth highest scorer because he won. He started tenth. Everybody else started thirteenth or worse. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight of the top nine were thirteenth um, or worse. And then Daytona five hundred. Um, all the top seven started twelfth or worse. So, yeah, it, it's just. Is it possible for the for a top ten starter to get into the optimal? Yes. If they go out there and win the race, yes. If they go out there and Denny Hamlin leads, you know, ninety laps and finishes tenth or whatever, yes, he's probably going to be one of the highest scores. But does that justify the probably you know twenty twenty five percent ownership that these guys are going to have, especially those starting like seventh through tenth? I. I no, I don't I don't see it. There's way too much that can go wrong and and what what what's the worst is when I see these these NASCAR content providers recommending guys starting in the top 5 and especially on the front row. Like do you realize how much has to go right for someone starting yeah. on the front row to get in the optimal this week? And these guys I don't I just don't see it's like they don't know how to do math. It's 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 absolutely wild. Like I, I don't mean to to make it all about me, but I I make a lot of hot takes that ruffle a lot of feathers. I'm pretty sure at mm-hmm. Talladega in the spring, or even the Daytona 500. I forgot which one it was, but I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the one Hamlin started first on. Like he's starting this week, and I'm in the live show. I said, I think Hamlin could lead 90 laps and not be optimal in this race, and mm-hmm. I got mad, or people got mad at me for saying that. Uh, that just how volatile these races are and how the I hate I hate using floors and ceiling projections. I mainly just like using one base projection for anything. But this is a race where legit the floor of somebody can determine how shitty a line can be and the ceiling of somebody can determine how good a lineup is. Um you said you have the ownerships in front of you. What do the mm-hmm. pole sitters have? Like who who's playing the guy starting first at these? I'm pretty sure Hamlin's probably going to draw 20% ownership this weekend, and I think that's 20% of the lineups dead on arrival. Well, so what Hamlin has going for him is everybody's going to be talking, like not even just DFS providers, but NASCAR people in general this week are going to be talking about, one, how how strong they've been lately, and two, how good he is at super speedways. And, you know, starting first, you know, yeah, that's a great pick. He was 24.6% owned in, in the Dega race earlier mm. this year, starting on the pole. That's wild. Absolutely that's just, yeah. insane. Absolutely insane. Because you know what happened? He finished 32nd for minus 9.45 points. He led 43 laps. And then Logano, who started second, who's another, you know, big name super speedway driver, he was... 18% owned almost. Um, he had negative 32 points. Truex started 30, had negative 15. Bowman started fifth, he had negative 29. Like, there's no, no, like, and yeah, Hamlin's going to be probably, I'd say, 20 to 25, maybe even higher than that ownership this week, depending on where DraftKings prices him. And I'm not going to have a single Denny Hamlin line. I can guarantee that. Mm-hmm. 
and I, I hate using this example, but yet again, give me David Starr scoring eight DraftKings points over Hamlin giving me negative nine. Like, I'll take mm-hmm. that any day of the week. I'll, I'll take that. Uh, it, the ownership's just wild. Uh, it all just goes like legit, just stacked from the back. Play, place, play starting positions. Um, don't play drivers. I, I think mm-hmm. that's another way to put it. Like for me, sometimes when I'm like knee deep in the lineups, I'm I'm 16, 17 in. I'm not even looking at the drivers' names. I'm just looking what position haven't I covered? Oh, I haven't played enough. Uh, the guy starting 33rd. Okay, I need to make sure I get him in more lineups. That, that's how I build mm-hmm. lineups here. I, I'm right there with you. It's you can't, yeah, you can't do names because one, it's gonna your your brain is naturally just gonna gravitate toward like. If you have the choice between Ryan Newman and Chase Briscoe, like this is a bad example because they don't start next to each other. But, um, you know, uh, Ryan Priest or Cole Custer, mm-hmm. uh, that's another bad example. But you, you get what I'm saying. Like, you're, yeah. or you're let, gonna let's change it. Who do you want to play, Keslowski or Eric Jones? Eric that's Jones. Probably, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean like, but, like like in your brain, who who's the better plate racer? It's Kozlowski. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's the better play this weekend? It's Jones. Yeah. Um upside wise. Mm-hmm. But actually, I'm gonna go back to um let's say let's say Briscoe and Custer are similar prices. You're gonna look at it and say Cole Custer sucks this year. Like this is this is how I picture like a normal DFS mm-hmm. player doing it. He's going to say, Cole Custer sucks this year. Briscoe's been doing well. I'm going to go with Briscoe because they're similar priced. I don't care what the starting position is. Cole Custer starts 28th, and he's shown that he's been good on these super speedways this year. I'm going to be all over Custer this week. And if he wrecks out again, then oh well. But the ceiling is just so much there. It's the it's the rare weeks. Like, you know, even Blaney starting fourth. Blaney's a very good super speedway racer. I'm not going to have any of him. I'm not going to have any Larson. I'm not going to have any Truex. And when you when you pair when you pair staying away from the guys up top like that to also being overweight on the guys in the back, if there's one big wreck, it's going to work out for you. One guy I want to know your opinion on this week. Actually, two guys. Joey Logano starting eighth and William Byron starting tenth. And let's actually throw Keselowski in there as well, starting seventh. Would you be inclined to play much of them, if any? No, and if I if I am playing anybody, say really starting inside the thirteen or inside the top thirteen, I'm playing five guys starting thirtieth on back. That's how I build those yeah. types of lines as well. Because if that guy who starting inside the top thirteen wrecks, I want to be able to offset his negative points by just playing everybody who's going to get me uh, starting positions, like. I'm I'm as you're talking right now, I'm trying to go and find my old sheets from this year that have my lineups and ownership laid out. But off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure my ownership and this might be a bit extreme for some people, but probably from fortieth to thirty-third, I probably have seventy to sixty percent ownership too. And then thirty-second to probably twenty-seventh. I have around 40% ownership. And then once we get into the twenties, like mid twenties and up, that's around 15% to 5% for everybody else. So I, I legit fucking play the guys from the back. 
that that's mm-hmm. how I that's how I break down the uh, at least my ownership to drivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and honestly, one like I remember the last the last uh, Daytona race was one that I actually did 150 lineups, and I don't remember how they did to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I like doing, and again, this goes back to how random these races are. I use uh, Fantasy Labs Optimizer for to build lineups, and you can set the level of randomness with a mm-hmm. lineup, and I I crank that, and then I just let it run, you know, and and put a max max ownership for one driver at forty percent or whatever, and then yeah, just let it run, and and like you said before, which I didn't comment on when you did, um, yeah, I I did a lot of lineups by ceiling. I do a lot of lineups by ceiling because. Mm-hmm. Like obviously, I'm going to have my projections. My projections are probably going to like they're definitely going to overvalue Hamlin this week. They're going to overvalue oh, yeah. Logano yeah. this week. So I'm going ceiling as opposed to actual projections. Like I post my projections because people like to see them, um, and like these these super speeder races get great traffic every single time. But I'll be completely honest with you, they I I don't use them at all to make lineups except for my ceiling projections. Um, but my actual projections, I don't use them at all. And I, and I put right in my articles, I don't think anybody else should either. Just like I say, my betting articles this week, I say, if I were you, I wouldn't even bet mm-hmm. because it's you're just hoping to get lucky. And I don't like betting that way. I like I bet on this race because I have a gambling problem and I need that action. Mm-hmm. But... Um, if I was being very smart about it, I wouldn't even bet this race because it's so random. But I, once again, I like having something to root for. I like I like betting BJ McLeod at six to one to get a top twenty because I want to root for that. I like I didn't care who won the football game on Monday night, but I had the over and it gave me something to root for. Mm-hmm. Like like I said, I have a gambling problem, so um, don't follow what I do. But if you do, good luck to you. <laughs> do as I say and not as I do. Yes, absolutely. So with with me and my projections, a lot of like everybody starting in the thirties, I'm going to give them a 23rd place finish. That's just how it is for me. Everybody starting in the twenties, going to give them a 20th place finish. Everybody in the teens, going to give them a 17th place finish. Everybody inside the top 10, going to give them a 13th place finish. That's normally how I build or how I make the projections. And some people may say, oh, that's mailing it in. Oh, you're being lazy. I mean, that's what I'm just going to do. Um, that's how there's nothing worse. Like I really, so what grinds my gears as a content provider are, are the weeks that my projections are off when I spend a ton of time doing all this stuff. And then I have a bad week. Like it, it gets to me mentally. Like, Mm -hmm. cause I know like a lot of people view my shit and I hate when I'm wrong and I hate when I'm really wrong. Like obviously nobody's going to be perfect. I'm not going to ever have a perfect week. Um, but typically my projections are pretty damn strong um, with the top contenders. And when I'm completely off, I, I hate it this week. I, I hate doing projections. I absolutely hate it because it's so, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and like you said, like mailing it in, you can call it whatever. Like obviously people still want our content, but um, I know like my YouTube videos this week are always significantly shorter because like for my slingshot game, this is this is what I say. I open up the video and I say it's pick whoever you want. Here's my recommendation. Don't pick anyone starting better than 20th or 25th or whatever. Um, 
And it's like a typical video for that last 30 minutes. And this week it's going to be 15 because do whatever you want and hope you get lucky. Don't put too much time into this. Don't put too much mm-hmm. effort because at the end of the day, it is all, it's all random and, and it's all about who avoids a Rex. And it's not something that we can predict. It's literally not possible. So, um, and even people who drivers who do well in real life at plate tracks are usually like bad DFS plates. Like I, I hate to just talk about Hamlin the whole time, but I mean, Hamlin's an amazing real life plate racer. It's terrible mm-hmm. fantasy play. It's the same thing as mm-hmm. like, you know, quarterbacks, like some people, somebody could be like a, you know, Peyton Manning. One of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game was probably not the best fantasy play week in and week out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you can feel free to talk shit about Hamlin all you want. I'm here for it. I hate that guy. <laughs> oh, I do too. But it's a, it's, a, it's a side story here. I went to I, – I used to go to Phoenix every year for both races. The last Phoenix race I went to was the race before they turned it into the championship race. So that fall race, anybody who bought tickets were – you automatically had an advanced time to purchase championship tickets. And so I did that. So I was going to go to the championship next year. Well, COVID rose around. And since I'm not a season ticket holder, you know, they pull my tickets and they're like, well, we'll give them to you for next year. And so I completely forgot that I have tickets for the championship race this year <laughs> until oh, I, do you really? until it arrived in the mail. I was like, oh yeah, I paid for these like three years ago <laughs> and they're here oh. now. So, uh, are, are you going to go? Yeah. 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 For sure. I just yeah. completely forgot. Like it just escaped my brain for whatever reason. And so, you bring up Hamlin. I'm joking around, but like I'm probably going to see Hamlin win the championship in Phoenix because Larson that's, probably. Isn't that's what I was going to say. Um, I don't know if you listened to the the Stack and Denny's episode before the playoffs started, but I said Hamlin's going to win multiple races in this playoffs, and he's going to win the championship. And he's already got the two wins. And damn it, if he wins this championship, I know. Well, it goes back to me. I I still I still think there's a possibility Larson doesn't even make the final four. That's a whole nother topic. Is it really? <laughs> Man, when Larson wrecks in laps 13 this week, it's going to be a real, real issue, man. I hope, I hope I'm wrong, but we'll see. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Before we wrap this up, who's your pick to win Talladega on Sunday afternoon? It's probably going to be Ryan Blaney again. I know he keeps performing well, but I mean, Pinsky just has, has such an advantage here. And I, I really do think that uh, Blaney is going to be up front all day. I wouldn't bet him, mm-hmm. but, but I think Blaney wins. I'm, I'm there with you on Penske. I'm going to go Logano just to be different. But, um, but yeah. Are you playing either of those guys in DFS this week? Uh, let me look at the uh, – I just exiled out the starting grid. Like literally, depending on where these guys start. Blaney, go ahead. Blaney starts fourth. Logano starts eighth. Nope. That's a no. I'm telling nope. you, top ten are not in my line. They're they're not yeah. my player pool. Not playing as one wanted, of those guys. I, I just wanted to hammer that home one more time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's gonna do it for this week's episode. Thank you all for tuning in. Make sure you check out Brandon's stuff. Like I said, he's on Twitter, Brandon Cruz DFS. Same thing on YouTube. Support his pat- Patreon. I always want to call it Patreon. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and make sure you come check out. We always do. We usually do live streams on his YouTube channel before the race. Him and I do, unless I'm in Vegas and blackout drunk and can't remember a damn thing. So um, yeah, thanks again for watching guys and we'll catch you next week. Uh